Yes, Lord, where else will we go? You do have the words of eternal life. All other words uh, lead to death and destruction, but thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to us and sharing your life with us. Open our hearts, Lord, that we might hear again from you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is very, very good to be back uh, after uh, several weeks of vacation. Um, I miss being in this room and hearing everyone sing. Uh, I love, uh, the, the, the scriptures tell us that the Lord is enthroned upon the praises of his people. Um, hearing, hearing the songs in this room um, helps me see God more, um, and it is a blessing and an honor uh, to be back here. Um, also, I, the room is very full, rest assured. We are going to two services in a couple of weeks. Uh, we have that listed in the announcements and the bulletin. Um, I, I'm excited about that, too. <laughs> That'll be good. So uh, part of our vacation, we, we spent up in the North Shore uh, at Grand Marais. Uh, has, has anyone been up to Grand Marais? It's beautiful, right? Yeah, it's a lovely place. Uh, it, was, it was really fun and interesting, I think, for us to observe uh, very different groups of people who would come to Grand Marais. Uh, maybe you encountered this, maybe you observed this, but you had one group who drove up in their uh, electric luxury SUVs or convertibles or whatever. Uh, they were there to enjoy some of the spas maybe or the, the fine restaurants that are there or the microbreweries. They browsed the art galleries. They, they stared at the still waters of, of Superior and, and sipped artisan locally roasted coffee. Um, for them, the North Shore is a place of solace and of comfort and, and quiet and calm. Um, and before I go any further, Yes, we did enjoy nice coffee and skip stones on the lakes. You know, I'm, I'm hyperbolizing for the, for the sake of my point. Um, but that I would call uh, is the comfortable group. Um, but there was also another group there in Grand Marais. And maybe, maybe you partaked in this, partook in this, maybe this was you. Um, but these are people who drive in from the wilderness in their rusted trucks or their open air uh, all-terrain vehicles, you know, their four by fours and stuff. And they are there in Grand Marais to fill up their gas tanks. Uh, they're there to replace torn clothing, to sharpen their knives, uh, to replace or to replenish their coolers, perhaps. Uh, these are people who would visit the outfitters there to discuss the lading fishing trends, uh, to swap out their old maps for new maps, and find out if any storms were coming. Now, again, I'm, I'm hyperbolizing here, but roughly you could say these were two very different groups of people uh, who would visit a place like Grand Marais. Uh, you have the group of luxury and solace and the group of risk and danger. And as, as most people probably would, I, I wondered, you know, what would, what would happen if the zombie apocalypse were to break out here in this moment? Which group would I want to be with? Um, and then I thought, I shouldn't say zombie apocalypse in a sermon, so let's, let's change that up a little bit. What if a massive storm were to roll in uh, from Lake Superior and completely decimate the village? Like, what if a storm came in, which would happen pretty regularly, but, but what if the storm was so strong that it cut off all the power? Maybe it, it leveled some of the roads so we couldn't escape. Uh, we couldn't come back down to Duluth or the Twin Cities or somewhere else. You know, what would happen if it was so severe that, that all the inhabitants of Grand Marais were isolated there? Which of the two groups would you look to to help lead the way? The group of comfort or the group of risk? Which group is it would endure long-term suffering if, if, if the city was blocked off for weeks and weeks, if not year, uh, months and months? 
Who would be most prepared and most likely to endure? Well, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11 this morning. And here the author of Hebrews paints a rich picture of the Christian life. And he talks about the role of faith in the life of the Christian. And, and throughout the scriptures, there's many definitions of faith. Uh, we're told at one point that even the demons believe, you know. Um, uh, sometimes faith is, is uh, meant to describe what kind of belief you have. Here, what Hebrews is talking about is enduring faith. Faith for the long haul. Faith that keeps you sane. Faith that keeps you clinging to the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Resilient faith. Faith for the long haul. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Because the reality is, we are experiencing a storm right now. It's not a storm that's come off of Lake Superior. But we are living in faith-rattling times right now. I can't tell you um, how many conversations I have with, with you all. And, and you know, our faith is being rattled by things that are happening in culture or the ways in which uh, society has reacted to the pandemic or, or even just like learning more about the uh, uh, things going on in the church right now. We are living in a storm right now and all of our faith is being rattled to the core. So how do we endure? How do we endure the storm of our current age? So I think there's three qualities uh, that we can glean here from our reading from Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11, uh, it, it lists these five people, these wonderful people, these men and women of the faith. And uh, to be clear, these are not perfect people. Uh, in fact, we could go back, and, and, and I thought about telling more details, but I'll, I'll let you do that. You could go to these stories of, of Enoch, and, and Enoch's an interesting guy, but, but Noah and Abraham and Sarah, like they all messed up in, in pretty serious ways. Um, their lives are full of highs and lows, victories and failures, celebrations and plenty of shame. But these are ordinary people who by God's grace were able to cling to God's promises. Abel, he took the risk of offering his best sacrifice to God, uh, much to the ire of his brother, and we know where that went. Enoch maintained a steady walk with God for his entire life, and the Bible says he lived a pretty long life, 365 years, so that's, that's impressive. Noah protected his family from unprecedented storms. Abraham left the comforts of home and followed God into the wilderness, Sarah made herself available to, to receive strength and power from God to bring forth new life. And so enduring faith, I think what we can learn from these, from these individuals is enduring faith prepares for an adventure. Enduring faith prepares for an adventure. When God places a call upon your life, you don't know where you will go, uh, what you will give up. The one thing that we are promised is dangers and, and trials. Jesus says to pick up your cross daily. At, at one place, he says, um, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This world is full of dangers, but it's not just dangers without, out within the world that we need to be careful and mindful of. It's also dangers within our own human heart. In fact, those are probably, those dangers within the human heart are probably the most uh, dangerous and, and unlikely to, to catch our attention, Right? Uh, as I've been thinking about this passage and, and events going on uh, in our world right now, I was reminded of St. Augustine's line saying that each one of us has a wolf within that is ready, that is trying to slip the chain at any moment. And that just, that's a wake-up call, right? A wolf within all of us 
Reminds me of what the Russian uh, philosopher Solzhenitsyn says, the line between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart. So part of the adventure of faith is not just contending with the wolves in our world, but also contending, within the wolf for the, contending with the wolves within. You see, enduring faith prepares for an adventure. It's honest about the realities of this world and within. But the good news is that we are fully equipped for the journey. Through Jesus' victory on the cross, his victory over Satan at the cross, we have the authority to defeat sin. By the gift of the Holy Spirit within us, he, he gives us the tools like self-control and peace and patience and wisdom. And with the camaraderie of the church, we're able to confess to one another, to confess alongside one another. We, are, we realize that we are not alone in our struggles and in our adventuring, in our contending with evil, that we have brothers and sisters who come alongside us and help us when we stumble. So what are those besetting sins in your life? What are those things that trip you up on your journey? What are those, what are those things that keep you up at night or haunt you or, or, or hold you back from experiencing the fullness of God's peace and glory? So my charge to us in light of this is to, is to confess your sins. Come to church. Confess them corporately with one another to surround ourselves with other, with, surround yourself with, with other sinners uh, who are confessing things like you are. And hear the forgiveness of sins pronounced over you. Let us contend with evil together under the banner of Christ, our victorious King. Enduring faith prepares for an adventure. So in verse 13, the writer says that those who faithfully endure acknowledge that they are strangers and exiles on the earth. I, I kind of take, um, not, not offense, take, what's the word? Take, what? Issue. Issue. Yeah, thanks, Derek. I take, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Staff over here, they're, they're used to correcting my words. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, I take issue with that word acknowledged because there's more than just mental assent that's happening here. Like, like it's not like um, these uh, men and women sort of showed up at synagogue one day and they were handed a quiz. And, and one of the questions they had to answer is like, do you acknowledge that you are a stranger in exile on the land? And they were like, mm, let me, uh, yeah, sure, I acknowledge that. You know, it, that's not what we're talking about here. This is the same word that elsewhere in the New Testament is translated as confess or to, to profess openly. Uh, to publicly declare something. This is a much more vocal and engaging word than just merely acknowledging something. Uh, in fact, if you, if you question that, you can just look at the next verse, which, which says that these are individuals who would speak clearly about these things with others. So in other words, enduring faith is not afraid to appeal to others. Enduring faith appeals to others. It reaches out. It's invitational. It's persuasive in nature. It tells other people, I am on an adventure. It's not a perfect one. I, I mess up at times, but this is an adventure, and I think it would help you to join me in this. Let's walk together in this adventure. So what are the things that we are actually declaring? Well, one is we're declaring that the truth of the world that we see around us. Things are not right. This is a broken world. Uh, I love what Bart said in his, in his message a couple of weeks ago. He said that part of our Christian responsibility is actually to acknowledge and to lament the sadness of this world. In fact, he said that two-thirds of the Psalms are lament Psalms, the scriptures that equip us to lament the pain and the brokenness of this world. So may we do that as a prophetic witness to what actually is going on in our world. Yes, God has made the world good, but we humans have made a mess of everything. In spite of our best efforts, in spite of our good intentions, 
We do not have the ability within ourselves to heal ourselves. We need something without or outside of us. The faithful also declare, come with me. They acknowledge, they, they, they bring others into it. It's invitational. Um, we tell people around us, there is more to the world than what you can simply see. Uh, I, I read um, in this article, oh, I forgot her name and I, and I didn't put down my notes, but uh, this, this philosopher, she's like 94 years old and she was talking about the experience, that, and she's not a believer, she's not a Christian, she was talking about her experience of, of human consciousness and um, kind of pointing to something beyond this world. And she said, you know that feeling when you go out into nature uh, and you're just sort of taking in this tremendous amount of beauty? She said, why is it that one of the feelings we feel is that of gratitude? She was like, because gratitude goes to a person for having done something. And she's like, I, I can't explain that. And I'm reading this, I'm like, it's because there's a maker. Like, there's, there's a creator. We're, our hearts are strewn to be thankful and grateful to him uh, for the beauty that he has uh, called us into. So we are called to make it clear that we are seeking a homeland. That this world, there's something more beyond it. Our hearts are tuned to desire something that can't be fulfilled within what this world has to offer to us. We are seeking a homeland. Or as this passage says, there's a better country that is coming. Enduring faith sees that. It focuses on that. We fixate on that heavenly home. We obsess over it. We talk about it. We wonder about it with one another. And we invite others into it. Join me in this adventure as we contend with evil and look to the hope that is before us. And that brings me to my third point. The final uh, verse says that God is not ashamed to be their God. Uh, it struck me as even as we were reading that, I heard several of you uh, react when that verse was read. God is not ashamed to be your God. Holy smokes, like talk about mysteries that we could spend the rest of the day um, talking about and discussing and praying through. He's prepared for his faithful people a city. So all throughout this passage, this, this entire chapter, the writer is describing his faithful people as desiring things that have not yet been received. Uh, he says that they have greeted these things from afar, you know, the images of Moses standing on the mountain looking into the promised land, saying those are things that I've not yet received, but he's longing for them. He's desiring to go into the promised land. They long for a better country and they wait, they await the city of God. In other words, enduring faith desires a home. Enduring faith desires a home. This is, this is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For those who have confessed their sin, who have acknowledged their weakness, and who've gone through the waters of baptism, we know that we have been claimed by Christ. The, the scriptures have been said, stated over us with the authority of Christ. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And nothing can take that away from us. And if you haven't been baptized, if, if you haven't heard those words proclaimed over you, please let us know. We've got baptisms happening in two weeks. It's free. I won't charge you anything for that. Um, but come, immerse yourselves in the waters, the cleansing waters of the church. God is not ashamed to be your God, to call you son, to call you daughter, to prepare a home for you, to nourish you at his table, to bring you into the fellowship of other brothers and sisters. And our home that we await is that city of God. 
He's preparing it now, and as Revelation 21 tells us, it will descend down, and heaven and earth will be joined, and all things will be made new again. There's different thoughts of what the city uh, meant in ancient culture. Jews, uh, in, in having Jerusalem in their mind, thought of the city as, as the prime example of divine sovereignty. All wisdom flows from the city. All uh, authority, spiritual authority flows from the city. In Greek thought, the, the city is home of special privilege. It's where the important people live. Uh, their family and their resources would be well fortified and protected. But also, um, it, it's a place where they can experience the fruit of the nation's labors. The city in Greek thought is a place of special privilege. In Stoic philosophy, the city is the focus of universal hope. It's, it's where the, the city can be protected from uh, the violence of armies so that that which they've been building up will last longer. It's, it's something where you can place your hope in. Uh, it has storehouses to protect against things like famine. Um, in the New Testament, we see all three of these ideas at play. By God's divine sovereignty, nothing will threaten his rule. By God's grace, all his people are privileged and are welcome to enter into his city. And all who call upon the name of Jesus will experience his mercy and the fulfillment of hope. So as I, as I wrap up here, I want to ask the question, how do these ideas, these things of hope, of adventure, of meaning and purpose, how are these things discussed in our society these days? Are your jobs telling you that there is meaning to be found in there? Maybe there, I, I certainly hope that there is a, a level of, of meaning and significance there. But what about when we turn on the television and we watch commercials, you know, and, uh, or hear ads on our podcasts, you know? Like, what, what is the good life that's being portrayed in those things? I, I heard someone recently say, maybe, maybe this was someone you read, Molly, but someone talking about commercials as little parables. Think of commercials as parables of our society that are trying to uh, teach you meaning about what the good life is. How does the world define uh, adventure? How does the world contend with evil? How does the world face the realities of suffering? Where does the world place its hope? It seems that rather than adventure and risk, our world wants to place purpose in shopping, in, in acquiring things, in making our own domains more beautiful and more luxurious, more comfortable. And to be clear, there is a place for that. Uh, there's, there's a place for uh, the goodness that this world has for us, but never at the expense of our faith, never at the expense of those in need around us, never at the expense of um, not acknowledging God as the creator and provider of everything. But how often do we talk about upgrading our stuff, comparing our stuff, acquiring more stuff? You know, rather than the word of God and the council of elders, we look for direction in our life from the almighty logarithm, right? Materialism and escapism will not give you true meaning or hope or peace. As C.S. Lewis says, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So dear friends, may we set our hope, our faith on things above. And may we look to Jesus Christ, the one who has descended down into our mess, who has defeated the powers of darkness and invites us to follow after him. So may we also enter into that adventure, inviting those around us to come, to journey with us, to contend with evil alongside us. 
as we continue our our march towards our heavenly home. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this world is a broken place and the answers that this world gives us do not satisfy us. Uh, We are still hungry, we are still thirsty, we are still weary and tired uh, when we lean upon the things of this world. Lord, as your gospel tells us, may we lay up our treasures in heaven. As the Hebrews uh, uh, letter tells us, Lord, may we set our sights upon that which you are preparing for us, a heavenly home. Lord Jesus, as we journey this world, may you continually fill us with your spirit. May you nourish us with your spiritual food. May we be well equipped for the journey ahead. Because left to our own, Lord, we can't do it. We need you, Jesus Christ. So fill us up afresh today, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.